Every Monday to Friday, this is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Money Talk! Good morning and welcome to Black Friday. It's Friday the 24th of November and this is Peter Lewis with Money Talk. This podcast is sponsored by Surfing Group, which is headquartered in Singapore and offers online financial services to 30 million customers across 10 countries. In today's business and finance headlines, China may allow banks to offer unsecured short-term loans to qualified property developers for the first time. As part of a package of new measures to backstop the real estate industry, regulators are considering allowing banks to issue so-called working capital loans to some developers. Unlike other types of loans available to builders that typically require land or assets as collateral, the new financing facility would be unsecured and available for day-to-day operational purposes, potentially freeing up capital for debt repayments. Shenzhen is to cut down payments for second home buyers in an attempt to revive demand in the city. Authorities are also scrapping a measure that has restricted the scope of buyers who can enjoy lower down payments. The easing measures, which include lowering the down payment ratio for second homes to 40% of the value of the property from as much as 80%, took effect from yesterday. Shenzhen is the second tier one city in China to lower down payments for second homes. Another Chinese financial giant has run into trouble. Investment conglomerate Zhongzhi said it's severely insolvent, with debts ranging from about 59 billion US dollars to 65 billion US dollars, which is more than twice its assets. In a letter to investors published on Wednesday, the firm said the death of its founder Xi Jikun in 2021 and the subsequent departure of senior executives had led to a failure of internal management. The company said internal management ran wild as a result of these departures. The group's investment products have defaulted one after the other and we deeply apologise to investors, it said. Inflation in Singapore has hit a five-month high. Singapore's annual inflation rates rose to 4.7% in October from 4.1% in the previous month and above expectations. It was the highest reading since May. Singapore's core inflation accelerated in October for the first time since January. The core inflation rates, which excludes housing and private transportation costs, increased to 3.3%, up from a prior 18-month low of 3%. On today's programme, I'm joined by Francis Lund, the CEO of GEO Securities and Lashar, Asia Chief Economist at BBVA. And with a view from Australia is Toby Lawson, the CEO of Staten Partners. And my website is peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. That's where you can get in touch with any questions or comments and where you'll also find my daily Asian newsletter. And if you prefer X, then at moneytalkr3 is my handle. U.S. markets were closed Thursday for the Thanksgiving holiday and will reopen for just half a session on Friday. In the oil markets, the postponed 23-nation OPEC Plus meeting originally scheduled for Sunday will now be held online on November 30th rather than at the group's headquarters in Vienna, a spokesman for the cartel said on Thursday, in a potential sign of a deepening rift between members. The latest change prompted further falls in the price of oil. Brent crude oil settled 0.8% lower at $81.28 a barrel. Gold inched higher but held below the $2,000 level. The precious metal was up 0.1% at $1,992 an ounce. The US dollar index held around 103 and three quarters on Thursday after rising for two straight sessions, underpinned by stronger than anticipated economic data from the US, which prompted traders to reassess the outlook for Federal Reserve monetary policy. 
Trading volume was thin due to holidays in Japan and the US. The yen was unchanged at 149.5 against the dollar. In Shanghai, the yuan strengthened 0.1% to 7.14.5 renminbi. On the mainland, the Shanghai Composite Index, that rose 0.6% to 3,062. Hong Kong shares reversed losses from the morning session, with sentiment lifted by reports that the Chinese government is mulling allowing banks to offer unsecured short-term loans to qualified developers. The Hang Seng Index climbed 176 points, or 1%, to 17,911. The Hang Seng Tech Index jumped 2.2%. The Hang Seng Mainland Properties Index surged 6.4% as Beijing prepared to encourage lenders to offer support to some beleaguered real estate firms. The property sector rallied in the afternoon session on news of further government support measures, including Shenzhen halving the down payments for second home purchases. Shares of Country Garden soared 23.5% following news that the distressed Chinese property developer will make a so-called whitelist of 50 firms eligible for financing support from state-owned and private financial institutions. Other firms also thought to be on the whitelist catapulted higher. Sifi Holdings skyrocketed over 48% and Sino Ocean surged over 31%. Agile Group rose to almost 17% and Longfor Group gained more than 13%. In the markets this morning, futures markets pointing to a decline for the, uh, for the Hang Seng at the open of about 50 points. That's a third of a percent. Looks like the Hang Seng is going to start the day trading around 17,690. And you can get more details on the latest market movements in my daily newsletter at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. Every Monday to Friday, this is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Peter Lewis's Another bright and sunny Friday morning, and we have with us our two bright and sunny guests. First of all, Francis Lund, the CEO of Geo Securities. Morning, Francis. Good morning. And also with us is Lashar, who is Asia Chief Economist at BBVA. Morning, Shark. Good morning, Peter. Uh, let's start with the property sector. There yeah. has been this plethora of um, support measures announced over the last few days. Uh, a, a list of 50 developers who are going to go onto a, a white list. News that uh, banks may be uh, encouraged to offer unsecured short-term loans. We've got Shenzhen uh, cutting uh, the requirements, the deposit requirements for second-hand homes. Um, mm-hmm. Francis, I've heard this described as being like a firework display. Yeah. Lots of light and sound, but it all fizzles out very quickly. Do you think (laughs) all of these measures, when you put them together, are they going to make a difference? Well, for the short term, definitely. I think for the stock market, it's something that uh, they'll be hoping for. They, they, they want to see the government really doing something to help the property developers. I think that's what they uh, uh, have done now. They're giving them short-term liquidity so that they can finish the project on hand and then deliver the properties to uh, uh, home buyers, I think. Mm. Uh, but for the long term, the outlook is still uh, not very good because uh, uh, property prices are not rising. And They're falling <laughs> at an even and, faster rate. Yeah, unless the property prices are rising, then the property market is still <laughs> doomed to fall. Uh, are, are the authorities doing this because they're getting more and more worried about um, the, the turmoil in the property market and that this could maybe turn into a systematic crisis that starts to affect financial institutions as well. Is that why they're doing this? Is, should yeah, we take it as a yeah, signal that they're yeah, worried? Yeah, definitely. They, 
uh, according to some report, I think that twenty uh, percent uh, of the bank's uh, loan portfolio consists of loans to property developers. Mm -hmm. So they they cannot afford such an enormous default. <laughs> it will wipe out the equity of all the banks. So mm. they really have to do something. Shark, what, what do you think about this? There's a lot of things now, isn't there, coming out from um, from the government. Is the cumulative impact of this going to stabilise the property sector? Uh, if you look at the recent move of the government, I think I fully agree with Francis. It's a welcome step in the right direction. Uh, but accumulatively, you, if you ask me whether they can save this uh, uh, property market, the, the real estate sector in China, I have to say it's there's still a long way to go because mm. uh, uh, now, at last, I think the government decided to do something to stop this uh, domino effect. In the past uh, many yeah. months, we have seen these uh, developers for yeah. one by one, right? <laughs> now they said we are going to build these uh, uh, defense uh, lines to, uh, to, to, uh, to uh, provide this uh, white list, and uh, we asked. Uh, uh, banks to extend these uh, uh, uncauthorized loans to these banks, yeah. uh, to these uh, developers. I think that's a good one. But the problem is uh, now even banks, uh, they don't have enough incentive to uh, lend these kind of loans because mm. it's too risky. Mm. Okay, <laughs> It depends how the authorities, uh, they will design new mechanism to provide a new incentive to uh, push all these banks to do that one. So I think there's a still a long way to go. Uh, but of, of course, that, that's fine. I think a long way, I mean, maybe one or two years to, to solve this uh, problem. To, well, in one or two years, we can see the stabilization of uh, Chinese real estate sector. But for now, uh, market, they can jump on this uh, news. Uh, yeah. they, uh, they can enjoy the one maybe for, I don't know how long, maybe for four weeks, okay? Uh, but uh, then, I'm afraid that uh, at the beginning of the next year, we will see more negative signals from the property market. We have seen this one all along, this mm -hmm. cycle. So that stabilize and then further uh, deterioration and then new policies stabilize further deterioration. We have seen that one. I, I like to say that uh, it hasn't touched the uh, uh, bottom yet. The main judgment is based on people's confidence. Mm -hmm. So now people mm -hmm. don't, uh, feel comfortable to acquire new homes to yeah. to put their money in this uh, long term. We can see consumption or investment in this uh, property uh, market. I think this is still the number one uh, challenge to Chinese economy and to this uh, real estate sector. We we still need time to repair people's uh, confidence, and by that time, uh, one people they are they, they behave normal normally. Okay, they are willing to buy if they need that one. Okay, we will see this uh, real estate sector will stabilize. Yeah. Uh, we'll see all these mm -hmm. uh, measures uh, previously. Maybe we all we shoot that one yeah. <laughs> okay, by that time, but then another cycle uh, yeah. started. Well. Anyway, I think uh, because of Chinese uh, demographic, uh, demographic problem, because of the Chinese, uh, this new growth model, I think even they start the next uh, cycle mm -hmm. of this uh, housing market, yeah. they shouldn't be as high as previous. Yeah, yeah I, I think there is a basic uh, problem of tax. And, uh, and revenue. I think the core, the, the core problem is really that the local governments depend on the, uh, selling land to fund the local government. Mm. So I think they should have to replace it with a property tax collection, 
that's what they have been trying to do for more Talking about that for years. Ten years. Uh, but uh, like almost every country in the world, including Hong Kong, you have you have a property tax, or, mm. or here we call rates. Mm. So that the money from there actually fund the local government. Then they don't have to depend on selling land. They, mm. the, the core problem is that the local government is, is, is selling land without control. That's why they created all this surplus in property supply. If they don't solve this, they are not going to solve this property problem. Mm. And, but the problem is that model is now broken, and there's no yeah. replacement for it, is uh, there? That the so, government has come up with. Yeah, so they have to replace it with a national property tax, and with the revenue, most of the revenue going to the local government. That's the only way to do it. So it's politically it. very sensitive, isn't yeah, it? Though? Yeah, definitely. But you have to do it. Mm-hmm. But at this moment, don't scare our investors. I agree with you. In the long run, they must uh, establish a new tax uh, yeah. to finance the local government, right? Yeah, but right. at this moment, definitely, I don't think it's a good time to, yeah. to unveil this kind of uh, tax reform mm-hmm. because uh, the market are already very vulnerable. I yeah. think... Uh, now even the central government, they are quite aware of this one. Yeah, so the, for the short-term solution will be the central government provide more uh, mm. fiscal transfer of finance uh, support to this uh, local government mm. so mm. that they can uh, put through this, this time. But in the long run, they will think about maybe by the time the next uh, property market sh- cycle started, the price start to rise, they will... Uh, Think about uh, wider they will build this one, but at this moment, I don't think uh, they they want to put that in their agenda. Yeah. The thing is, if you look at these measures, things like these fifty companies that are going on the white list and you know having unsecured loans. The thing is, the central government it's not providing any new money, is it, to the property sector? It's yeah. not bailing these companies out. Mm-hmm. It's not giving them money. All it's doing is it's trying to make sure. Uh, that banks, in effect, make sure they have ac- access to liquidity. But there isn't any new money here at all, uh, is there? Yeah, that's right. Uh, I, I, I think they, uh, they are really trying to put the losses to the bondholders and the shareholders of these property developers. Mm. I think uh, some people had to suffer, but it, it won't be the central government. <laughs> I think you're very right, uh, Peter. Uh, this one, first... Uh, now we see that uh, the, the central government, they just want to provide some policy support. Mm. But the problem is, uh, we have seen that one just a couple of years ago. Uh, at the beginning of this uh, property market bubble problem, and they already have uh, uh, some conference and they invite the meetings, they invite some, uh, uh, they call the high quality uh, uh, property developers to have this meeting. And they show that they have a trust on that one. And people interpret it that, okay, this one they are going to save. But uh, the tricky thing is, uh, then the things start to deteriorate. Mm. Um, By the time some of the developers, including this uh, uh, country garden, okay, by the time they have trouble, and then they, they stay away. Okay? Mm, yeah. They didn't directly go intervene or to provide direct support of that one. Yeah. So now I think the market, of, of course, for now they are excited about this one. But maybe in weeks, oh, they will think about uh, what's the credibility of this policy. Maybe they just lead a five, 50 or maybe 100. Mm. And then by the time they met trouble and they will stay away again. Mm. So that, that's one uh, question. The second one, I agree with uh, Francis. Uh, they must do something. They must put real money in. Mm. 
Mm. Okay, yeah. so <laughs> which is what we're not seeing so far. Yeah, this is a systemic risk, mm. and uh, if you look at the other countries' experience, every country one day face this uh, property market uh, mm -hmm. crisis. Mm -hmm. uh, this one become a systemic one. The the government need to pay. Someone's okay. got to take the losses somewhere, hasn't yeah. it? Yes. Those losses yeah. are not going to go uh, away. Uh, and the only balance sheet big yeah. enough and clean enough to take those losses is the central government's yeah, balance sheet. That's yeah, the only one. Yeah, exactly. It's like the Federal Reserve, the US, they, they, they spend something like $8 trillion yeah. or something like that yeah. to bail out the financial uh, institutions uh, after 2009. <laughs> mm. yeah. the, the thing about this latest policy is putting all all the onus on the banks, isn't it? Particularly mm -hmm. the state-owned banks. But I'm wondering, what is the impact going to be on the banks? Because net interest margins at the big state-owned lenders, it's already fallen now to a record low. It's about one and three quarter percent. So that's below mm -hmm. the requirement of the PBOC. So surely um, the, the effort to provide loans is going to hit a limit very quickly. Banks are not mm -hmm. going to be able to do this very easily, are they? Yeah, that's why the bank shares are uh, selling at such a low valuation. Mm. They are selling at, I think, uh, half of their, uh, half book, their book value. value. Yeah. <laughs> and something like three times uh, the PE. So people are predicting that their profit will plummet after they take on this uh, property developer risk, I think. <laughs> yeah, and, and if you look at uh, the funding gap that's needed um, mm. so that all these property developers can complete all these uh, sort of remaining housing units, well, Nomura estimates it's about $450 billion. <laughs> um, the, the banks can't finance that, can they? Uh, it's too big for, for the banks because they're already stretched. They've already got large numbers of unperforming loans. This is going to really jack up their, their performance of uh, their non-performing assets, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, definitely. And, and don't forget, and you have a, even a bigger crisis in the in commercial property, in office buildings, mm. the, in, in most cities in China, the vacancy rate of office uh, buildings is something like over 30%. So, so, so it's not something to laugh at. I think, uh, I think like, uh, look at Wolf. They plan to uh, invest in commercial real estate in China. After one year, they quit mm. completely. Mm. So, well, that's another problem that's in the uh, yeah. lurking, not just in China, but in the US and elsewhere as well, yeah, a crisis right. in the commercial property yeah, sector. even in Hong Kong. And here as well, <laughs> yes, yes. Now, what about what Shenzhen is doing then? They are um, cutting down payments for uh, second home buyers. Uh, the uh, the down payment is going to be cut, or it has already been cut now from 80% to 40%. And also the threshold of homes that qualify for down payments, which was previously homes with a value below 7.5 million yuan, that's about $1 million, that's been removed completely. Mm -hmm. Is this going to persuade buyers now to think about, you know, a second home or upgrading? What, yeah, what do you think? I think some of them will. I think yeah. uh, still uh, buying a property is better than buying a stock in, in, in some gen. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I think in China, many people, they buy the second home because uh, they want uh -huh. to change their uh, apartment. Okay, yeah. so when they want to change the apartment, you already buy first and then mm. sell the old one. So you so. buy another one rather than <laughs> sell the first one. Uh, yes, uh, because uh, uh, in China, I think uh, now much better. But compared to Hong Kong, I think their uh, mm. home renting market is not that developed. Mm. So yeah. uh, 
Mental uh, use are quite low in China. Yeah, exactly. So they prefer to have a, uh, this a second home first, the better one first, and then I move to the new one. Mm -hmm. I sell the old one. That's yeah. uh, the, the behavior of the Chinese uh, uh, home buyers. Uh, so if they lower the second one, uh, the second home down payment requirement, uh, that could stimulate some people to uh, go to the market. Uh, but the, the market... Uh, I like to say the environment is not that good. The sentiment is not that good because uh, uh, in Shenzhen, I know there's a lot of uh, Hong Kong people. They yeah, have their properties yeah, there. Right. So their market is quite uh, yeah, uh, yeah, synchronized so with we, the Hong Kong one. Yeah, with so many uh, uh, Hong Kong people going over mm. <laughs> every weekend, like something like half a million. <laughs> wow. Well, the savings from this are quite considerable because if yeah. you're buying a second home valued at, say, 5 million yuan, you now only have to pay 2 million yuan compared to 3.5 million, yeah, which you would have had to have paid up front previously. Yeah. That's a 43% reduction in down payment costs that's quite a big uh, quite a big saving isn't yeah, it yeah definitely um, yeah. many more people will be able to afford to buy a second home so could this cause uh, an, an increase in demand and sales is, is this going to be the thing that could spur now um, a, an increase well should be but uh, it will take some time to really to see that what the effect is. Mm. It's like Hong Kong. You relax some uh, restrictions, but uh, the prices are still falling. Right, yeah. yes. <laughs> yeah. Now, what about Zhongzhi? Um, it's a, it's a, one of these um, oh. shadow banks, isn't yeah. it? Oh, it's run into terrible. trouble. It's an investment conglomerate. It says it's severely insolvent. It has debts which are more than twice its assets. It wrote a letter to um, its investors yesterday its debts range from 420 billion yuan to 460 that's about 59 billion dollars yeah. to 65 billion it only has assets of 200 billion yuan so yeah. that's basically a shortfall of about 36 and a half billion yeah. dollars where the other money where, go? where's the well that's the question where <laughs> has the money i mean what they say is internal management ran wild i mean Me what, meaning that they be, they be stealing from the company so is that what it means is yeah. that what they're basically saying you that's know the managers right. have basically taken the money from the company yeah ever since the owner died and uh, there's nobody to to oversee the company to look at the management and everybody trying to grab whatever whatever they can so is this a one off or is this systematic to the shadow banking sector? Are there likely to be other Shangjis like this that have run into problems as well? Because a lot of these shadow banks, they invest yeah. in real estate, don't yeah. they? That's yeah. where their yeah. losses have come from. That's right. Definitely. I think more, more, more will come. I think, I think two months ago, it, I think one of the leading asset management company were into problem. Mm. Uh, exactly because of a problem in real estate. And how big a problem is it? I mean, it sounds large numbers, uh, basically uh, debts of, what, around $60 billion, a shortfall of $36.5 billion compared to assets. How big is that? I mean, it sounds big on a standalone basis. Is it big compared to the overall size of the, the shadow banking sector? How, give me a sense of how big a problem this could be. Uh, the good thing is, uh, if you look at this one, they are not banks. They don't have the system at risk. They mm. don't have this uh, uh, condition to uh, to other financial institutions. I mean, I mean banks. Then you will have a very serious problem. But this one's a wealth management. Uh, uh, company, the asset manage managers, uh, so that by the time they go boost, they, we are going to see the household directly suffered. 
Mm. They, they lost their money, but they are not going to affect uh, the the uh, financial market. They are not going to affect uh, this uh, uh, capital market, the loan market. So that's why make us a little bit comfortable. But uh, unfortunately, as uh, Francis said, that's not uh, the the standalone case. Okay, mm. we are uh, we can expect. We already see many wealth management products mm. have a problem. Mm. In yeah. China, and we are maybe mm. we will see more because yeah. uh, they are exposure to the property market uh, has mm-hmm. been huge, and even to even they have uh, exposure to Chinese stock market, <laughs> they, they yeah. will suffer a lot of loss, right? Mm. So uh, with the time going on, we will see more and more uh, asset managers. They cannot afford to. Uh, run their companies because mm-hmm. eventually people will ask for withdraw their money something like that. Uh, we are going to see more, uh, yeah. but uh, personally, I don't think that's a systemic risk to find entire financial sector. But yeah. definitely, the household they, yeah. they will suffer. Yeah, people mm. will suffer because because most of these uh, uh, financial products uh, they they've been bought by individuals are issued by property developers. Mm. It's mm. another soft source of money for them. Yeah. So when, when when they go bust, <laughs> everything go down with them. <laughs> so the people who are losing money here, it's basically the retail investors into these wealth management products. Yeah. Now, they tend to be wealthy retail investors, but yeah. nevertheless, it is households, it is retail investors. So presumably, um, there could be sort of political problems from this, couldn't there? Because they're not going to be happy. Well, they don't have votes. Don't worry about them. Mm. Well, they they could start. We've seen before, didn't we? They started yeah. protesting outside That's their banks' right. headquarters, and well, they just uh, turned turned the uh, what what in, into a red card or something. They cannot travel, and what, so mm. they, they yeah. cannot do anything. Yeah. Mm. Generally, they are rich people. So if you look at, uh, yeah. I especially checked uh, uh, their customer base. They yeah. said, uh, on average, I think that per customer they invest around two million RMB. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, they're, so they're, they're pretty wealthy. Yeah, pretty wealthy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you look at this, so we, we're talking about here in Zhongzhi a thirty-six billion dollar shortfall. The shadow banking system that's about three trillion dollars. So yeah, it's yeah. a small percentage of it overall. But yeah. nevertheless, as you said, Francis, there's probably more Zhongzhis out there. So yeah, this could definitely. start to add up quite quickly. Uh-huh, definitely. Now, what about uh, the reaction of the um, of the stock market? Uh, to uh, to all of this, um, you know, we saw a big reaction yesterday, particularly um, didn't we amongst the um, amongst the property um, mm-hmm. developers? They they shot up um, yesterday. Yeah. Um, how do you think uh, how how do you think the market's going to continue reacting to this? I'm just trying to find the data uh, for you actually for uh, for how some of these uh, how how some of these uh, property developers perform. So overall, I, I, I think uh, yesterday it's just the speculators got on the bandwagon. They they think a lot of people. We speculate on it, and then everybody get into action. So you you have the fifty percent gain for CV at runtime. So mm. Country Garden up twenty three yeah, so and what? a half percent. Yes, CIFI is uh, as as you mentioned up forty eight percent. Sino Ocean over thirty one yeah, percent. Agile I, Group seventeen percent. Longfall up thirteen percent. Huge huge moves. Yeah, but don't forget the CV and Transocean. Uh, they they. Uh, 
uh, Sandra Ocean, they actually defaulted mm. on the overseas debt. <laughs> so maybe a better way to look at really, you shouldn't be looking at the share prices of these, you should be looking at the bonds, which are yeah. <laughs> deeply distressed, aren't they? I mean, uh, Country Gardens bonds uh, um, are trading at about seven, uh, trading about seven cents on the dollar earlier um, this week. So it's that's that's the real yeah. um, sign of, of the, the trouble that these companies are mm, in. It's time for the, for the voucher funds to step in, <laughs> buy up all these bonds. <laughs> and, and what about the market then um, overall? For so far in, in November, it's not been too bad. The Hang Seng is up 4.7%, but the problem is year to date, it's down 9.5%. It's still the worst performer amongst those equity market indices uh, globally. What's the outlook? I think we, we, we should see improvement uh, in November and December because we've been waiting for the Chinese government to, to take some action. Mm-hmm. I think finally this week we see some action that uh, the property white list is the first sign, I think. Uh, and, and furthermore, I, I, I think we, we're seeing less uh, restrictions on the, uh, on the internet platforms. Even uh, uh, Alibaba and Tencent got a, uh, a well, uh, uh, did not face uh, so much scrutiny from the governments. Mm. But is, is this, I mean, it, it may be enough to put a floor then under the market and stop it declining any further. Is yeah. it going to be enough to get any sort of sustained rebound going? Because that's been the problem, hasn't it? Every time we've seen a rebound for a few days and then it runs out of steam very quickly. Well, the governments uh, should stop meddling with the uh, private private sector. I think that has been the problem for the last two years. I don't think they can, can they? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's in their um it's in their DNA to, to meddle. What about Alibaba? That's been in the news um, as well. It looks like Jack Ma's not going to sell his shares um, now because um the, the, the because of the collapse we saw in Alibaba um, share price. Are, are we seeing any stabilization at all in Alibaba? Yeah, I think um, maybe. So I, I don't, uh, I don't understand why they have such troubles. Uh, but apparently now Jack Ma is a very sensitive figure. So any move, okay, I think this uh, business one, okay, I, I tend to uh, interpret that uh, he's, uh, uh, yeah, he have the. He have the right to sell that one, right? Mm. But unfortunately, it's uh, too sensitive too to late. the one. Yeah, and uh, I noticed that it's not only for their uh, other stakeholders, but mm. also for the uh, political. They have some uh, political impact on that one. Then mm. he have to. I, I think he, he he has to stop doing that. Yeah. So give me a sense, Shark, of what you think about the mainland economy. We had a lot of data, didn't we, over the last sort of week or yep. so. We had retail sales, industrial production, things that weren't related to property looked like they were doing quite well, but anything related to property looked pretty bad, didn't yep. it? But what, what's your sense of where we are with the economy now? I think to, if you ask me about the outlook of the Chinese economy, I, I'm afraid that your uh, observation will continue for a longer time. That means anything related with the property market thing, maybe they will deteriorate further and the government need to continue to unveil new policy to support them. But at the same time, uh, in some sectors, especially like uh, these EV sectors, uh, new, new energy sectors uh, mm-hmm. and other uh, sectors, uh, uh, they are improving. Uh, I, I think uh, I, I met some uh, clients in China. I do feel that uh, there's some emerging opportunities in this uh, new emerging 
sectors, mm -hmm. industries. But the, the good thing is that uh, China is big enough. Why you have this uh, terrible property market, they drag down the economic uh, mm -hmm. e economy, but at the same time, they have some new opportunities uh, for them. So for this year, I think they, they can easily Okay, according to what we have observed, they can easily uh, meet this uh, five percent target. And uh, next year, I think it will be very challenging. Mm. Yeah, because uh, the new things uh, maybe they cannot grow as we expected, and they could meet troubles. Okay, uh, but uh, the 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 things we are sure is these property market things. As I said. Uh, there's still going to be the main to focus, go. isn't it? <laughs> okay. That's still going to be the big focus yeah. when it comes to the yes, economic yes, um, outlook. Yeah. And I suppose the consumer is the consumer feeling more optimistic. Do you think? Uh, just uh, of course, I think uh, compared to three months ago, they feel a little bit better. But still, think about this uh, Zhongzhi problem. <laughs> okay, uh, yes. yes, that's not going to make them <laughs> the feel too any better. Yeah, yeah. the new yeah. shocks are in the way. Yeah. Okay, uh -huh. that's right. And Francis, what about the geopolitical issues? Any sign, do you think, now following the APEC summits where Biden and Xi met, are, are things improving on the geopolitical yeah, front? Yeah, definitely. I, I, I think China emerged from its isolation ever since it supported Russia in the, in the, in the uh, uh, Ukraine invasion. Mm. And, uh, and uh, Biden signaled that uh, the U.S. is not going to de-link with China. And then after that, uh, China has a successful summit with the EU. Mm -hmm. So although there, there's, there are still some restrictions on the, on the high-tech sector, but uh, on the other trade issues, I think things are uh, looking better, I think, at least. It, it, it's not the antagonistic attitude now, like under uh, Donald Trump. Well, he might be back. Yeah, that terrifies Chinese <laughs> government. I don't, I don't know. Maybe, maybe the, the sensible thing is to, for them to wait for Donald Trump to come along because they haven't done very well out of the Biden administration, have they? He's been pretty tough, and, but much more surgical in terms of you know, the way he structured the tariffs and restrictions than Donald Trump was. Well, Biden is a smarter person. He understands things, but Donald Trump doesn't understand the geopolitical situation. Okay, well, let's leave it there. Otherwise, okay. we're going to get into the quagmire very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, thank you very much. Have a great weekend. You heard yeah. there Francis Lun, who is the CEO of GEO Securities. Lashar, who is Asia Chief Economist from BBVA. I'm joined now by Toby Lawson, who is the CEO of Staten Partners down in Sydney, Australia. Morning, Toby. Good morning, Peter. Now, Reserve Bank uh, Governor Michelle Bullock has been talking and she's basically put home buyers and businesses on notice that further interest rate pain uh, is coming. She seems to be very determined, doesn't she, to uh, bring inflation down, even if that means more painful in increases in interest rates. Yeah, I think it's interesting because at the same time, you're starting to see the U.S., um, you know, people talking about whether rates have peaked in the US and there'll be no more rate hikes in you know, Europe, although Christine Lagarde saying that the EU haven't necessarily finished. In Australia, it's actually the language from the Reserve Bank Governor is quite strong in saying, as, uh, you know, that the, the final phase of getting inflation down is going to take longer. And uh, in fact, inflation is still probably rising in some parts, particularly in the services sector, due to, to, to persistent demand. And so, yeah, I thought it was a pretty fairly 
fair shot that maybe not December, but definitely in February, we can see another 25 basis points coming through on uh, rates here. Mm. And she's obviously made it clear what she's going to do to get down inflation, and that, that's raise interest rates. What, what, is the, what about the government? Has, has, is there things that the government can do on the, uh, on the fiscal side to also bring down inflation? Well, the problem for the central bank is it only has one weapon when it comes mm. to um, – and, and it's a blunt tool, as, and she used those terms, uh, monetary policy. And the problem with that is that it, is, you know, it doesn't discriminate. Uh, it uh, hurts everyone, but particularly hurts those on lower incomes and those more sensitive to mortgage rates, um, which tend to be uh, those younger and potentially less uh, wealthy. So it is, um, it's a, an indiscriminate uh, tool, but it really impacts uh, the um, the lower socioeconomic uh, curve in the economy. Now, the government um, can obviously try to adapt that by providing some uh, fiscal response to that part of the uh, of, of the community. But by doing that, you potentially then just continue inflation because if you put wages up to compensate, uh, that's inflationary. So from a government perspective, it's difficult because actually what the Reserve Bank want them to do is to stay tight on fiscal policy and actually reduce aggregate demand in the economy. Mm. And whilst it's uh, somewhat unfair that it might hit the, the harder parts of the economy, that's the only way they can get inflation down. So fiscal policy has to accommodate. They can't let loose on fiscal policy mm. um, to compensate. Um, otherwise, inflation just stays up. I'm, I'm wondering, we, we did touch on this, I think, a couple of weeks ago about um, immigration. I think you've had about 630,000 new immigrants this year, which out of a, what, a population of 26 million, that is quite a lot. Is that part of the reason why you're seeing inflation? Is it putting pressure on, uh, on infrastructure, on housing and, and other things? Is that becoming an issue? Yeah, I think in of itself, I think the Reserve Bank Governor said that the migration factor has an, has an impact in the short term, but in, in long term, it's actually a good thing, mm. right? Because it creates a GDP multiplier. And, and everything. Exactly. So, you know, in of itself, it's not a bad thing. It's just the rate at which it comes in because when you have an undersupply and actually already a structural undersupply of housing, um, even without the increase in migration, that's going to put pressure on rents and it's going to put pressure on the housing sector. So that has the inflationary impact in the short term. So on the one hand, um, yeah, it, it's an impact, it's, but it shouldn't be one that says, well, we don't have any migration. It's really just the pace at which Australia should be bringing people in. And at the moment, we've got a structural um, uh, undersupply of housing, which uh, with a higher migration rate, over 2% on the population growth, just clearly is going to have an impact. And that has a downstream impact on prices in the housing sector. So it's a it's a it's an issue, but uh, it should not be one which I guess creates a political story around um, migration in general in Australia. Migration is good for Australia, mm. and Australia has always been dependent upon that anyway, hasn't it? I mean, uh, of it's, course, it's, it's uh, immigration that's uh, got the economy to where it is. Yes, indeed, and uh, we're having a per capita recession if you want to put it in the in the GDP per capita uh, measurement. So it is having an impact on, on the overall growth on that measurement. Um, but at the same time, it creates overall nominal GDP growth for the country. And when you've got a country the size of Australia with 25 million people, um, migration is essential. Um, it's just and when it's a time when you've got high inflation and you've got these persistent problems, it doesn't help. But uh, it shouldn't be stopped.
Right. Okay. And what, what's the impact uh, on businesses of all these rate rises? We had the PMI out yesterday. The composite PMI came in at 46.4. So in, in contraction, um, and it's also uh, the fastest pace in 27 months, the manufacturing PMI at 47.7. That's the ninth straight month. It's down a 42-month low. The services PMI 46.3. That's the fastest fall in services since September 2021. It looks like um, there, there's quite a big impact starting to appear now. Yeah, it's it, the economy's sort of chugging along pretty well. Those indicators would suggest that it's a little more abrupt the decline in economic activity but i think we've seen across um the developed uh, economies that even sub 50 pmis aren't necessarily um having a huge impact at, uh, on the on the consumer at this point in time and i think the reason for that is the labor market is still really tight mm. so um that uh, whilst the activity is down it's in the overall impact on consumer behavior hasn't been as aggressive as it would appear from those numbers but there's definitely uh, we definitely see that there's a slowing happening and we suspected in the first half of 24 to be a much it'd be a much tougher environment uh, because the you know the pool of savings that have been built up through the pandemic are probably pretty well exhausted um you know the government's probably going to have to tighten up a little bit or stay stay conservative on the fiscal side so we should suspect the higher interest rates that are already backed in should reduce aggregate demand and then that'll align more likely with what we're seeing in these figures in the PMI. Um, but right now, if you had, you know if you looked on the you know in parts of the economy are really struggling, um, but overall the economy is doing pretty well down here. It's going to be interesting, isn't it, to see what happens next year in, in 2024, and in particular what the uh, the Fed does, because that's obviously going to be a big part of um, where, where the economy goes. It looks like if we look at the minutes from that last Fed meeting, they're, they're not in any hurry to raise rates, but they're not talking either about cutting them next year. No, and uh, you know, looking through all of the different analysts and the economists, uh, looking at their projections for 2024, I guess the main thesis is that um, you know rates may have peaked, and and from an investment perspective, that might be a chance to put some duration into the bond market. Um, equities, um, interesting equities have performed pretty poorly overall. If you take out the magnificent seven of mm. those growth stocks, so actually, if the economy can avoid recession um, in the US, and most people are saying it will, equities probably have a pretty good outlook um, for the Fed. Um, they'll probably just hold as long as they can because that last bit of inflation is quite persistent and um, they don't want it to get baked in as a, as a long-term expectation. So I suspect you'll see the language staying pretty hawkish even if they don't hike. The bond markets, though, seem to be once again disagreeing with the Fed now, don't they? They're, you know, they're projecting in the Fed fund futures markets four interest rate cuts um, next year. The Fed's not saying anything like that at all. Yeah, and it's interesting because uh, the, the bond market has, you know, you, you, the bond market was pushing on the term premium so that the, when, when rates went closer to 5% of the 10-year. Um, but you're right, in terms of the pricing for the short end, they are pricing in, in cuts. So it's a little incongruous in so much as um, the overall view is that it's not going to be a, a recession, or maybe a soft landing, uh, maybe a small cyclical one, but that necessarily shouldn't see the Fed react by cutting rates. You would only think if you've got a dislocation and a, and a balance sheet type recession and one where credit is impacted that you would see the Fed having to react. But So it is a yeah, slightly unique uh, situation.
Mm. And in terms of equities, I mean, US equities, as you mentioned, it's been difficult for them, but they had three losing months in a row. But November is looking pretty good. It could be one of the best Novembers on record for uh, for the S&P 500. So far, there's only been six since 1928 that have beaten it. So it looks like uh, the sort of the year-end rally is, is picking up some steam. Yeah, and uh, I think we spoke about this maybe a couple of weeks ago, that November historically post a three-month uh, drawdown on the stock market, is, is, it tends to get a very strong rebound, um, Thanksgiving, uh, towards the end of the year. So it was as much a function of the of the poor previous three quarters that led to the very good performance in November. But if you have a look at the overall performance of equity markets um, and you strip out some of the, the, you know, the top seven stocks, it hasn't been that great a performance. What about the Australian equity markets? How how are they doing in uh, in in line with uh, or you know compared to say what the US is doing and what's happening elsewhere? I think it'd be you know, from an accumulation perspective, uh, the ASX hasn't really done much in the last couple of years, um, but uh, uh, overall is you know is has been in line um, with the performance of of US markets. Um, slightly different. The the Australian market doesn't benefit because it doesn't have a tech sector of any significance. So whereas in the US, thirty percent of I think of the index is is driven by tech. Um, in Australia, it's sub five I think. Uh, so in that sense, you know, um, we don't benefit from that that growth in 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 the stock market on the back of tech. Having said that, overall the performance has been pretty consistent and reflects an economy that's um, chugging along okay managed to absorb the interest rate hikes, needs to probably see demand reduce, but there's been no major dislocation uh, from a corporate perspective. And, and earnings are in line with, you know, as you would see around the world. And finally, let me ask you about the other major story of the week, which is the, uh, the, the saga at OpenAI. They've actually fired three CEOs so far in less than a, less than a week. They fired um, Sam, Sam Altman. Um, then 710 out of 770 employees threatened to quit. So he got reinstated. The board that ousted him then got fired. Quite an extraordinary um, story, isn't it? But I'm wondering what it means for, for, for the sector overall. <laughs> you used the word saga. I think it was. I was going to use the word circus. Um, it really um, quite fascinating, um, but also reflects probably on the structure of this open AI. You know the way in which it was initially created, um, and again without getting into details, the altruistic idea of open AI being, um, you know, for the benefit of humanity, um, necessarily doesn't equate to corporate governance yep. uh, and the pursuit <laughs> of innovation, the pursuit of profit. So Microsoft, I think, is the big winner out of this because. It held 49%, but had really zero control. Um, and as reflected in the ability for the board, uh, a very small board, to sack Altman um, for, I don't actually understand why, but you know, with, obviously the details may come out. And then Microsoft, uh, who's invested about $11 billion in this open AI, immediately offers him a job. Um, now, what's actually ultimately happened in the whole swing is that he's come back to open AI and the board governance and the size of the board will expand, which will allow for Microsoft to have more influence um, in the way OpenAI operates. Um, and so it's a win for Microsoft in that sense, albeit incredibly messy. I think in the end, uh, Microsoft will be pretty happy that Altman's back and that they're going to be able to put in a board that's probably going to be more responsive 
um, to the needs of the investors. I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? It's an odd structure where you have this board that isn't answerable to shareholders, isn't answerable to investors, um, but yet there is a part of OpenAI that is for profit and is there to make money, and that's where all these Silicon Valley investors um, are, but they, they really have no say um, in the company and no influence on the board. Yeah, and I think uh, what I gather is the board now is pretty much uh, only got one member that was on it prior to this whole circus starting, who's stayed on, mm-hmm. um, and uh, the co-founders were flipping uh, <laughs> in and out. It was, good. it was it makes for entertaining reading, but uh, wouldn't give you a lot of confidence as an investor if you're investing in that in that um, structure. Having said that, as you rightly point out, it's a capped profit company, so it is slightly complex. Yeah. Um, but I think this will improve the uh, the prospects of OpenAI going and forward. I presume this circus is not over either. There's probably going to be more developments down the road, so it's going to be an interesting story to watch. Toby, thanks. I like for- the way you put that, uh, Peter. Yeah, circuses go down the road. <laughs> they, 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 they don't stop. Though. They move on, don't they? <laughs> indeed. Toby, thanks very much indeed. Have a great weekend. Good talking to you once again. That's Toby Lawson, who is the CEO of Staten Partners. You're listening to Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Money Talk. Thank you for listening to Money Talk this morning and this week. You can find more details about some of the topics I've been talking about today, along with information on other headlines and market moves in my daily newsletter. Take a look at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. I'll have more business and finance updates for you on Monday. Joining me then are Alex Wong, Director at Alex K. White Wong Asset Management and Hong Kong-based macro strategist Patrick Bennett. Providing a view on mainland China will be China specialist and author Mark O'Neill. Have a great weekend. Money Talk.